If I ask my wife if she'd like me to buy her flowers, she always says no. We're going to a banquet, a corsage is appropriate. Honey, let me get you a corsage. No, 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 I don't want a corsage. But if I buy my wife flowers, even though she says she doesn't want them, you know what she does? She cuts the ends off at an angle. She puts them in a vase. She pours that little stuff in there. She sets them out in the kitchen. She takes pictures of them, sends them to the girls. People come by, and she says, look what my husband bought me. We've been married going on 47 years, and both times that I bought her flowers, she did that. Actually, going on 48 years. Flowers are not practical. You can't eat them. They're not useful for wearing They don't last very long. They're a perishable item. They're kind of uh, an extravagance. I want to talk to you tonight about extravagant love. I want you to notice Mary's love for the Lord Jesus and look first at the method of her love, the method by which she showed her love to the Lord Jesus. It was public. Jesus sat at supper. People are gathered around the table. And with all the guests there, Mary comes with a box of ointment of spikenard very costly and breaks the box and pours it on the feet of the Lord Jesus in front of everybody. There are those who think you should never let anybody know what you're doing for the work of the Lord, especially if it's financial. They say, well, when you give your alms, don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. Well, let me suggest a couple things. It doesn't say don't let your neighbor know what you do. It says don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. They're both your hands. I think that means don't let the hand that writes the budget tell the hand that gives the offering what to do. And it does say take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. If your motivation is to impress people, you have no reward of your Father, which is heaven. But in the same sermon, I'm pretty familiar, I memorized it over the month of December this year, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Lord Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Do you know it glorified the Lord Jesus for all those people assembled around the table to know how much Mary loved him, to know how much Mary was willing to give to him, to know the extent of Mary's devotion to him, her demonstration of love, the method of her love was public. It was also intensely personal. She wiped his feet, not his head, not his hands, his feet. Open sandals worn in Bible times, no sewage systems. The roads were sometimes very dirty and unsanitary. It was a common courtesy when you went to eat somewhere that they would wash your feet. And Mary, the Bible says, poured the ointment on his feet and she wiped his feet, not with a towel, not with the edge of her robe, but with her hair. I do not know much about women. Neither do any of you men. I was given a book one time. It said, what a man can do to understand a woman. I opened it up, and every page was blank. True story. But I have learned this about women. Their hair is very important to them. 
years ago when we didn't always have air conditioning, riding in the heat of the summer with my wife and her sister and her sister's husband, and we could not open the windows though it was 90-some degrees outside because it might mess their hair up. My wife will come to me sometimes before church on Sunday night, and she'd say, Honey, do you think I need to set my hair? Well, it looks nice. You can say it if you want to. I think it looks good. Well, she said, Do you think it's fallen? No, no, this is fallen hair. Mary took her hair. She didn't have to do that. She had other implements that would have been equally effective in cleansing the feet of the Lord Jesus, but it showed how personal her love and her devotion was. And you know, she kneels at the feet of Jesus, and you always find her there. Martha was one of those that served, but Mary was sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Martha wanted to labor, but Mary wanted to listen. She was always near the Lord Jesus, and she loved him so much that very personally and very publicly she expressed her love. But notice not only the method of her love, notice the measure of her love. She went to an extravagant expense. Judas sets a value on this ointment of spikenard. He said it could have been sold for 300 pence. Now a pence, not a penny like we have. It's a denarii. It's a day's wage for a working man. So in the Bay Area, what would a day's wage for a man who builds houses or plums or does something like that, what would a day's wage be roughly? Anybody know? For the farm, $150, $200? More than that? $250? $500 for a day. I am moving here. I'll have to keep my house in Michigan because I can't afford a house here. Let's be real modest. Let's just say it's $200. And Judas said, why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 pence? If Judas is right, that ointment was worth $60,000. 300 days wages. There are colognes, perfumes that are that expensive. There are people who have more money than they do cents, and they'll spend that much money just because they got lots of it, and they'll get something really, really expensive. She had the box. She could have sold it. She could have kept it. She could have used it for a long time, but she wanted to give it to Jesus. You know, cold-hearted uncaring people never do understand extravagant expressions of love. Why are we giving all this money to missions? And you may have had a missionary through some time, and maybe he really touched the hearts of the people and had some particular needs, and you may have given him many thousands of dollars. I've been to missions conferences where somebody wrote a check to buy the missionary a van, a brand-new van, and I've been to places where the, the missionary, we very reluctantly, they tell some things they needed. One missionary, a sweet man, we support him, a little bit simple, but very faithful and effective missionary, and they finally dragged out him that he needed an iPad for his son who had a learning disability, and during the service, somebody ran to the store and came back and gave him a brand new iPad. And you know, there's always somebody who says, well, it must be nice. Nobody ever bought me an iPad during church. Judas was like that. When I was a boy, my mother sold Avon. 
So growing up, I'd use Avon cologne, wild country, deep woods. Or if I wasn't around my mom to get some of the Avon that she had, I would go to the drugstore and buy Old Spice. There was a family that was in our church years ago, the Jansons. They were from French Guiana. The father was not much count. Never did get a job, though he was an accountant. He never could seem to find work. The wife, Esther, was just fabulous. Hard worker. She taught phys ed in our school to get her children's education. Always bringing people into church, bring her doctor in, winning people to Christ. Great lady. We lived on public assistance in a very poor part of Saginaw. And one night she said, Pastor, I want you and Chrissy and the girls to come over for dinner. I said, we'd be glad to. We'd like that. Went to a very poor section of town, Atwater Street. The little house they had rented, and she made us a great meal. She had something called rotis, kind of like a thick tortilla. And uh, we ate the, 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 the really good food that she had. You pick it up in the roti and eat it. And then she had a very fancy French pastry for dessert because that's what they did in French Guyana. We got all done, and she had a gift for every one of our family members, one for each of the girls, one for Chrissy. She gave me a gift. I opened it up. There was a green box with gold foil on it, and it said polo for men. I'd never heard of polo for men. And it smelled really good. And she had a little card in there. In the card, she wrote the verse from our text about a pound of ointment of, of spikenard, very costly, and she underlined the words very costly. I thanked her for it. I didn't know what it was. I, I was in a, a nice men's store a couple of weeks after that. And there I saw on the counter polo. I said, oh, that's that stuff that Esther got me. And I looked, do you know how many bottles of Old Spice you could get for one bottle of polo? Now, I must admit that probably was the beginning of my using more expensive cologne. I now use a, a cologne called Sauvage. I get a lot of compliments on it. I was at the library the other day, and the lady, I didn't even think she was near me, and she stopped. She said, sir, you really smell good. What cologne are you wearing? Now, you see, you have to look good or smell good, and I only have one option. <laughs> but I couldn't believe it. Here is a lady, no income on public assistance, really limited resources, and she wanted to get a gift for a pastor, and she didn't get something nice. She didn't get something fair. She didn't get something decent. She got something really expensive. I wonder when the last time is you did something really expensive for the Lord Jesus. Maybe it took a lot of money. Maybe it took a lot of time. Maybe it took a significant adjustment in your lifestyle and in your schedule. Maybe it really stretched your faith. The measure of her love was an extravagant expense, but it was an extravagant expression. Imagine that you have some cologne worth $60,000 and you're not allowed to sell it on eBay. How would you use it? In the old days, before spray cologne, men always did this. Some of you don't even know this. You'd pour the cologne in your hand, and then you go like this, and then go like that. I do not know why we went like that. 
I have no idea. We always, whatever it is, put it like that, put it on your face. But I've seen ladies with expensive perfume, and they don't do that. They go, it's too expensive. You don't want to use it all at once. If you had cologne worth $60,000, you couldn't sell it, and you had to use it some way, would you break the whole bottle and use it at one time? Mary did. You know, Brother Fong, I, I think most of the people where I preach love the Lord and want to serve the Lord. But I would have to say that a lot of time their love for the Lord Jesus is given in little drips and little drabs. Pastor, how long are we going to stay at that work day? How often do I have to visit this class? How long is it going to take uh, if we get involved in this building, building project? How much money are you going to expect each of us to give? Mary didn't ask anything about that. She just broke the whole box. And she put it on the feet of the Lord Jesus at one time. I'll ask again, is your love for the Lord Jesus dribbled out a little bit at a time? Is it sprinkled out or is it poured out? He poured out his life in sacrifice for us. Think about the measure of her love. Think about the method of her love. Think about the motivation of her love. Why would she do that? What would make Mary willing to give $60,000 worth of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and give it all at one time, pouring it on the feet of the Lord Jesus? Well, I think she was motivated by her regeneration, the fact that she was born again because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you saved? You're doing almost as good as the Democrats when they wanted to include or exclude God from the pledge there. Uh, is it true if you're saved that you're going to heaven forever? Is it true that you never spend one moment in the devil's hell? What is that worth? I had a mentor named Paul Vanneman. He was the youngest of 13 children. His father died before he was born. Mother raised him in rural New Jersey. He couldn't keep up the payments on the house. And his dad was, I think, a railroad man. They were going to sell the house for taxes. And all his buddies from work came to the auction. And every time anybody started to raise a hand, they just reached over and held their hand down and said, uh-uh. You got to keep the, mom got to keep the house for a while. One day in church, they said there was going to be a cottage prayer meeting. He was young, maybe 12, 13 years old. He thought that meant they'd go to that man's house and eat cottage cheese. So we went to the house, no cottage cheese. But somebody opened the Bible. They told the story of a little lad that gave five loaves and two fish to the Lord Jesus. And that got a hold of Paul Vanneman. And he said as a little boy, Jesus, you took that little lad's lunch. Would you take me? He always pointed to that as the time he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He would call me up on Monday. And if he really had a sermon he liked the day before, he'd preach it to me on the phone. And I would take notes. And if I liked it, I'd be done studying for the week. He'd say to me, talking about the Lord Jesus, he'd say, I love him, boy. 
I told him this morning that I love him, and I really do. He never got over being saved. He told me that story again and again, how he got saved. We were in Washington, D.C. doing some lobbying for Christian schools. It had a big day. We'd seen senators and congressmen and been to a White House briefing with then-Secretary of Education Bill Bennett and been to a reception with the former Secretary of the Interior James Watt. And three of us were sitting in a big motel room. I was reading my Bible. The other guy from the Michigan Association of Christian Schools was reading his Bible. And Paul Van was just sitting there with his Bible on his lap. And it was like he was the only one in the room. His eyes filled with tears, and he looked down at the Bible, and he said, Blessed old book, precious old book. At his funeral, Herb Noe told about talking to Dr. Vanneman about a verse he'd really gotten hold of and really had spoken to his heart. Dr. Vanneman said, You know what I did, Herb? He said, I bent over and I kissed that verse. And he said, when I did, I felt like I was kissing Jesus. You got over getting saved? I mean, hell is really bad. It's more awful than anybody could imagine. Heaven is really wonderful. It's more marvelous than anybody could understand. I have not seen nor heard nor been in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And we have all of that because of Jesus. Think maybe it's okay to break box for him? I think she's motivated by her regeneration. I think she was motivated by Lazarus' resurrection. She had a brother sitting there at the table. He used to be dead. Then Jesus came. They said, oh, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother would not have died. But Jesus rolled the stone away and spoke to had him roll the stone away. He spoke to the name of Lazarus and said, come forth and raised him from the dead. And now their brother is there with them at the table. And, and he's resurrected because of the power of Jesus Christ. Anybody you know ever get saved? You got any loved ones that have been resurrected from death to life because of the Lord Jesus Christ? What's that worth? My dad, I told you a story the other day, got saved when he was 21 years of age. He prayed for 17 years for his dad. My grandpa, well, that was a troubleshooter for the power company. Whenever they had a problem they couldn't figure out, they'd have him come. When he was 65 years old, uh, he, he showed my dad how he uses climbing spikes. I have those climbing spikes. He said, son, go ahead and try to climb this tree. My dad was in his early 20s, very healthy, very strong, was a weightlifter, and man, it was hard for him to climb a, a, a telephone pole, not a tree. And then my grandpa put the spikes on. He just, 65 years old, just scrambled to the top of the pole. Had seven children, reared them during the Depression. My dad's the sixth of seven, was born in 1927. And he would never get saved, never come to church. My dad would be preaching in the area. He'd sit in the t- chair and watch television. My grandpa sat in the chair until the test patterns came on the TV. Some of you don't know what that is either. Smoking cigarettes and watching television. My dad got a call from his one sister. She said, Dad may have six weeks, may have six days, but if you want to see him again, you better come pretty quick. He drove all night from Detroit to Massachusetts, went straight to the hospital, gave my grandpa the gospel again. He said, Dad, something happened to me 17 years ago. And my grandpa said, Yes, son, you've been different. 
And he said, would you trust Christ? And my grandpa said, no. My dad said, why not? He said, son, all my life I worked for everything I had. I raised seven children during the Depression. I never went on the dole. I never took a dime from anybody. And to think the only way I can get to heaven is by taking a gift. He said, I just don't think I can do that. My dad said, and you can think what you want about this. He said, would you like to see my mother again? My grandpa said, yeah, she was a good woman. We had a lot of good years together. She'd been gone for Almost 17 years, first funeral my dad ever did was for his mother. My dad said to his dad, you'll never see mom again unless you're willing to trust Jesus. Think what you want of my grandpa said, all right. And he asked the Lord Jesus to be his Savior. And they got done praying, and the doctor came and said, we have to have a blood transfusion. We've got to take your dad away. And my dad said, you go right ahead. He's just been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And the kindness of God, my dad came home, and a week or two later, he had already had a meeting scheduled to preach in Palmer, Massachusetts, not far from the little town of Brimfield where my grandfather lived. And the whole family went. Now, my grandpa always just sat there, smoked cigarettes, watched the television, but now he had a large print Bible, and he read it all the time. And now he would say every time my dad came in, Son, did anybody get saved tonight? We had a sweet time. We all kissed him goodbye. And my dad leaned over and for the first time in 20 or more years, maybe more than that, kissed his dad on the cheek. We hadn't been home many days when the news came that Grandpa had gone to heaven. My dad got to go back and he got to have a funeral. He said, absent from the body and present with the Lord. And he didn't have to say goodbye. He could say, I'll see you in the morning on the other side. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm glad i got loved ones been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's worth breaking the box. I think she was motivated by her regeneration. I think she was motivated by Lazarus' resurrection. But I know from our text that she was motivated by his, the Lord Jesus' redemption. It is six days until the Passover. It's about a week until the Lord Jesus is going to be crucified. Mary gets it. Nobody else does. Jesus said, let her alone. She has come to anoint my body for the burying. A lot of lessons there. Jesus kept telling the people he's going to be crucified, but nobody listened to him. Peter said, oh, no, no, far be it from thee, Lord. And Jesus had to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savest not the things that be of man, uh, God, but the things that be of man. But Mary got it. Mary listened. Mary believed what Jesus said. And Mary knew that there wasn't going to be another opportunity. This is it. If she's going to give this gift to the Lord Jesus, she's got to do it now. Family. Came to our church, husband, wife, and daughter. When I visited them, they told me that the husband had a brain tumor. Eventually, they figured it'd take his life. The wife had gone to school, learned to be a nurse to provide for her daughter. He was the most amazing man, Dave Austin. He'd, he'd have brain surgery and be out of the hospital the day after. There was somebody bounced back from serious surgery like he did, but the tumor kept growing back and the surgeries 
got a little more difficult and his recovery time got a little longer. Finally, it got real bad. We had a father and son outing. I don't have any sons, but <clears throat> I took a young man from our church to the outing. And I called Nancy and said, can I stop by afterwards and see Dave? And she said, oh, I think I will. I drove up in the driveway and got out of the car, and Nancy came out. Too late, preacher. He's gone. Saturday afternoon. I was pretty surprised to see her in church the next morning. I was really surprised when a ladies' group that she sang in, probably 10, 12 ladies that would have gone fine without her, came up on the platform to sing, and she walked up with them. And she sang, My life I give to you, dear Lord. Use me, I pray. May I glorify your precious name in all I do and say, Let me trust you in the valley dark as well as in the light, knowing your will you will always lead me. Your will is always right. I know God makes no mistakes. He leads in every path I take along the way that's leading me home. Though at times my heart would break, there's a purpose in every change he makes that others may see my life and know that God makes no mistake. It was, I think, the next Tuesday we had Dave Austin's funeral body, all of him that could die was in a casket in front of the pulpit. Family gathered in the front row of the center section. <clears throat> and I was shocked, even more than I'd been a couple days earlier, when that same ladies group got up to sing at the funeral the same song. And Nancy got out of her seat in the front with her mother and father and daughter and brothers walked up and sang again, God makes no mistake. How could she do that? I'll tell you how she did it. She did it because she knew that her husband was not gone forever. He just got to go to heaven a little earlier than she did. We had a man who used to sell candy to Christian schools, and he'd had a brain tumor, and it came back, and his wife was weeping, and he said, what's the matter? She said, well, I just hate to think of being without you. He said, oh, don't worry. It'll only be a few hours. She said, what are you talking about? Well, he said, the Bible says with the Lord a thousand years is like a day. I bet you it'd just be a few hours I'm gone. Huh. Can you imagine a life with no hope of eternity? Can you imagine a life where this was all there was and there was nothing to look forward to and to be absent from the body was to be absent from life for all eternity? I'm glad I have a Savior. I'm glad He shed His blood. I'm glad God gave His Son. I'm glad Jesus gave His life. I'm glad for His redemption. Maybe, maybe it's worth breaking the box. I... Uh, Heard a story, a young lady in a little church out in the country named Susie, Susie Parker. She felt called to be a missionary. First time anybody in the history of that church had gone into the work of the Lord, and Susie was an only child. Her mother had died when she was young. Her daddy was a farmer. And they had a celebration to say farewell to Susie. It was exciting, and it was sad, kind of bittersweet. And toward the end of the gathering, the pastor spontaneously said, Brother Parker, would you like to say a few words? 
And the old man with his shoulders bent from years of labor in the fields and his head tanned and wrinkled and his hands gnarled shuffled his way up to the platform and he said, Well, I'm not much for making speeches. All I have to say is nothing I have is too good for my Jesus. If he wants my Susie, he can have her. She left, got to the port, got on a ship. She never made it to China. Boat had some kind of an accident and sank, and everybody on board drowned. They had another service. Not too long after the farewell service. And this one wasn't bittersweet, it was just bitter. The old man's daughter is gone, her white life is wasted. Senseless tragedy. The only person ever to go out of that church to go into the work of God, and she dies before she ever puts one foot on foreign soil. The pastor said all the right things, and he read all the right verses, and they sang the right songs, but nothing helped. Nothing he could say and no verse he could quote would pierce the darkness of the cloud that had gathered over that congregation so many unasked and unanswered questions. And almost in desperation, he said, Brother Parker, would you like to say a few words? And for the second time in not too many days, but second time in his life, the old man shuffled his way to the platform. He said, well, all I had to say is what I said before. Nothing I have is too good for my Jesus. If he wants my Susie, he can have her. 